and welcome to another episode of the Meet the Translator podcast. My name's Dot and today I'm joined by Lloyd Bingham for a chat about CPD. Lloyd's going to talk about what CPD is and why it's important for us as translators and we'll discuss a few different types of CPD. Lloyd also offers some recommendations and talks about what the ITI does to support its members when it comes to CPD. I hope you enjoy the episode. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. How are you today? Uh, very good, yeah. Very good, Dot. How about you? Good. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. So, um, shall we start with a little introduction? Can you kind of share, like, who you are, what you do, and how you got to where you are now as a translator and a board member of the ITI? Mm, sure, yeah. Uh, well, I'm Lloyd. <laughs> um, who am I? Well, it depends who's asking really because if it's if it's just you and me i know you're a translator so i'll say i'm a translator too um but to my clients and potential clients i say um i help you reach new markets by overcoming language barriers <laughs> um but i think yeah I, th- I think that's a better way of uh, putting it to uh, to our target market just to sometimes mm-hmm. they confuse translators and interpreters don't they if you say you're a translator they'll say oh do you work in one of those booths for the eu or for the un no <laughs> unfortunately um so i've been i've been a translator for 11 years straight from university um off my off my language degree uh, the first three years i worked in-house for an in-house translation company and sort of learned to translate on the job there um, sort of under the guidance of senior translators who uh, review my work provide feedback uh, and mm-hmm. so on and then after three years i set up my own translation business I now trade as Capital Translations, and I uh, translate content from French, German, Spanish, and Dutch into English. Um, working mainly in sort of business and uh, working on mainly business and marketing text, but also lately specialising in more educational content and also technology. Um, specifically, I'm going into cybersecurity at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, I've seen your um, LinkedIn post about it. <laughs> Oh, fabulous. Yeah, it's something I'm taking quite seriously because the advice now and, and for several years has been specialised. If you want to have a career in the future as a translator, specialise. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, really get into your clients' sectors and, and, you know, develop the knowledge that you need to understand their content and, and put it into uh, your target languages. So that's what I'm doing. I'm trying to connect with that sector a lot more now uh, and, and go to events in the cybersecurity sector and take training, certification, and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really exciting. It's, you know, it's, it's something I'm passionate about. I think there's a good future for cybersecurity. I think it's something that's always going to be needed in our lifetime. Mm-hmm. So it's, um, yeah, it's really, it's really exciting. Yeah, you mentioned I was a board member of ITI. Yeah, I've been a member of ITI, the Institute of Translation and Interpreting, for, well, probably for as long as I've been a translator, nearly nine years mm-hmm. or so. And oh, this year I was elected as a, as a board member of ITI, which was, um, yeah, it's really exciting because I, for a few years, I've thought that I'd like to, you know, play my part and contribute to the profession in that way and lend another perspective uh, to ITI's, um, to, to its management. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, now just felt the right time. I've got a good few years of experience behind me and yeah, I'm very grateful <laughs> to, to have been elected for everyone who place their confidence in me we've only had one board meeting so far so i've not been able to make uh, much of an impact i don't think but we've got my term is three years plenty of time mm-hmm. and uh, yeah things are looking positive i think you're enjoying it so far then 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I look forward to. Uh, uh, I was going to say I look forward to going to Milton Keynes. But, uh, no, Milton Keynes isn't that bad actually. I pictured it as this uh, sort of very grey. It's a new. It's a purposely built city built in the, in the 1960s. I think. So I don't know. I just associated with all the buildings built around them, which are all sort of grey and concrete. But no, it's a very green, very pleasant city. I took my bike on the train and, and did a bit of cycling around there. It's very good for cycling. They've got. Um, mm-hmm dedicated cycleways they call them red routes because I think the um, the pavement or the concrete was, was originally red <laughs> I think it's uh, mm-hmm. away now but it's uh, quite easy to get around by bike it's and, ideal uh, and uh, yeah the board meetings uh, the board meeting has been it's intense because it's a full well, it's a full day and there's a lot on the agenda and the discussions are very um, intense in that there's lots of lots to talk about and every member contributes gives their perspective but it's really enjoyable because it's you know I'm passionate about my profession and everyone on the board is as well and you know we're all there for the same reason and mm. we want to do a lot of good stuff and um, so I'm really looking mm. forward to the next three years yeah be interesting to see what you achieve in your three years <laughs> yeah so why did you choose um capital translations as your the name of your business oh good question yeah, because it's when when I went freelance. When was this? Two thousand fourteen. This was around the time where we realised as a profession that if you're starting up today, it's a really good idea to to have a brand. Even if you're a sole trader, even if it's just you, it's a good idea to have a brand. You know, it could be a brand name, or it could be your name. You know, your mm-hmm. Dot Roberts translations are, aren't you? Yeah. Um, but, but that's a brand as well, and you've got your brand. Um, you've got colours and styles that go with that brand, and we all have a particular communications style uh, to sort of communicate our brand, our brand values in our own way. Mm-hmm. Um, mine came from the fact that this company I worked for in-house was in um, the northeast of England, in Northumberland, and I was moving back to Cardiff to, um, to start up. And I was really excited about that um, because I hadn't lived in Cardiff for seven years, so I was really excited about that. And being back in Cardiff... It, <laughs> makes sound strange but it was motivating in a way because I'm definitely a city person I studied in from Cardiff but moved to Newcastle for university similar mm-hmm. city very energetic former sort of industrial metropolis and now being sort of regenerated um, so very similar to, to, to Cardiff and I would happily live there as well in Newcastle but um, yeah I moved back and based obviously capital being the capital city of Wales on that um, uh, on being back yeah. in Cardiff and if you um, if you take a look at my logo it's got the skyline of sort of famous Cardiff landmarks. It's not geographically accurate, but you should be able to spot uh, some famous buildings in there, hopefully. The, the Millennium Stadium mm-hmm. sticking out at the end, at the very least. And I chose my brand colours are sort of a black background with white writing, so it's a very bold, uh, and sort of a gold, uh, sort of yellowy gold for that skyline, because I thought these, the combination of these three colours is very striking. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very modern at the time <laughs> I don't know if it still is uh, in 2014 I think a lot of logos and branding now I see it's much more colourful so maybe it is time for a brand uh, <laughs> refresh well okay so today we're going to talk about CPD obviously so mm. can you start off by explaining what what CPD stands for and what it actually is mm. yeah CPD stands for continuing professional development I've seen in some sectors it's also called CPE 
continuing professional education, but it essentially means the <laughs> same thing. It's not exclusive to our sector by any means. Uh, in lots of industries, we have this concept that you need to maintain your skills uh, as a professional in order to continuing uh, to in order to continue serving your clients in the best way that you can. Not just to maintain your current skills, of course, but to gain new skills to cater to emerging needs and also um, for your own benefit to future-proof your career as, as, as a, just a translator in our case to make sure you know we can do what um, you know what machines can't because obviously technology is increasing um, in, in our sector like any other sector but machine translation is becoming more prevalent more translators are doing more post-editing rather than translation because machine translation is getting better it's taking over initially the more simpler translations but it's getting you know cleverer and cleverer so we need to continue working on our skills in order to do what machines can't you know that's what our clients pay us to do they want a human to to translate it to to rewrite the source text to recast it in a way that doesn't give the impression that it's that it's a translation that it's a standalone piece of writing so we need to be good writers not just translators good writers and uh, I think that's where CPD comes in, especially nowadays in you know writing well in your target language, and of course having that specialist knowledge of your clients' sectors as well. I think those are the two most important things uh, to CPD mm-hmm. now at the moment. And um, so, why would you say that it's especially important for translators? It's for translators. It's probably because of that. I'm reluctant to use the word threat, but you know you could look at it that way: threat from technology, from machine translation, because it's. Um, you know, replacing more and more translation tasks. But, you know, even though I use the word threat, we can see opportunities in it to better ourselves because it's, in a way, it's a form of competition. And they say competition is healthy. <laughs> I don't know if you'd agree with that. But it, it just, it, it means it's pushing us to develop ourselves professionally and to, to educate ourselves, to train ourselves so we can do more for our clients. Uh, and... Mm-hmm. Uh, write texts that do what our clients want them to do. You know, in the case of marketing, they need to be able to sell products well. They need to be able to convince the target readership that this is the right product or this is the right service for them over every other service. And, you know, you could get a machine. You could you could put a marketing text into Google Translate, into DeepL if you want. It'll give you the gist. It'll probably be rather accurate. Uh, the accuracy is, is getting better. It's, I don't think it makes many mistakes in, in sort of that sector in, in sort of marketing maybe in more specialist sectors um, you know it's a different story but yeah and I'd say there's nothing wrong with using MT for, for a gist if you want to know what an internal email says or something there's mm-hmm. probably not much value in, in paying for that to be translated uh, depending on the sort of criticality of it but mm-hmm. um, yeah you could put marketing text in, into, into Google Translate or to another MT engine but will it sell the product or service? Well, how effectively will it sell the products or service? Probably not very well. And that's why you need a human translator. And that's why we need to uh, maintain and gain new skills so we can continue to offer a human translation service that's, um, so we can write the copy that our clients want us to and that, that does the job that they mm-hmm. want it to. I guess it also makes, doing CBD makes our job more interesting for us as well. Like, I mean, you said that you're specialising now in cybersecurity and I guess like, that's something that you're interested in and we're making our jobs more interesting by like yeah. learning about all these new different things as well. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because, yeah, it's not just about maintaining skills, but adding new skills. And I think a lot of uh, translators, a lot of people appreciate variety in their jobs. Mm-hmm. Um, and, 
you know, we might some translators might be working in a specialism today that might not be so relevant in ten years. So, in that case, they will essentially be pushed into going into a, into learning a new skill, into learning a new about, about a new sector. Of course, some sectors are timeless. I think you know, medical translation isn't going anywhere. Um, but certainly, there are more sort of technolo- um, technological sub-specialisations that are emerging. Mm-hmm. And potentially that could be where the niches are. Because when we talk about specialisation, sometimes you hear, okay, technical is a specialisation or law is a specialisation. And they, and they are in a way, but that's still too general, still too broad. Even though you're a, a legal translation, a legal translator, for example, um, it's probably better to specialise in certain areas of law. The same goes for medicine, and I think the same is going for technology now. So I, you know, I don't want to say I'm I'm a technology translator because that's getting broader and broader by the day. That's why mm-hmm. I want to go into a, a sub specialization if you want cybersecurity, and even that in itself could become broader, or it is actually that is a broad a broad field uh, in itself. So there is an argument for specializing even further and further. Mm-hmm. And I guess like as well within these within these fields, I know you said that some might be timeless, but even the ones that are timeless, like medical, it's still going to, there's going to be waves of different things. Like probably a lot of medical translators have just had to translate a lot of like COVID related content. Yeah. And I mean, hopefully there won't be quite so much of that <laughs> in the future. I guess we don't yeah. know, but like, I guess you get waves of different niches within this, those broader niches. Yeah. Well, there might be uh, monkeypox <laughs> emerging as a specialisation. Oh gosh! <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully not. Um, no, that's right. No, you're absolutely right. And there's there's crossover, of course, between different sectors. You know, you could have medical uh, medicine crossing over with technology. You could be a, a medical technology translator, mm-hmm. or even um, a, a medical technology marketing translator that's trying to yeah. sell a medical technological project. Yeah, absolutely. A product. <laughs> building very complicated <laughs> venn diagram <right>? yeah <laughs> yeah oh, absolutely absolutely so obviously there's a lot of things that you can do cpd and like what would you say are the main forms of cpd and which ones would you say are most important for us as translators with cpd we often compare i suppose formal with less formal methods and also structured learning versus self-directed um mm-hmm. So we talk about formal versus informal. I suppose formal would be sort of courses you sign up for. You know, you could think about a master's degree in in, in translation or you know, courses that run a bit longer where um, you are being taught, essentially. I think you have the, the, the learning materials and maybe it's classroom-based, maybe it's online, but it's a course that you sign up for and you're, you're taught the content. That's perhaps a more formal method. Um, but mm-hmm. informal methods, of course, also apply. So you, you could think of uh, reading a newspaper or watching a, a Netflix series in your source language to help keep your language skills topped up. There's also structured versus self-directed. Structured, again, would be sort of the courses um, where you need to do certain things by a certain uh, time. And self-directed courses can be something that you do at your own pace. I think the difference is... These these sort of were two extremes until not too long ago, but I think I'm finding more stru- traditionally structured courses are becoming more self-directed nowadays and allowing you to do things at your own pace. The, the, what I'm doing to specialise in cybersecurity, I'm following a training course offered by, I suppose, the equivalent of ITI 
in, in cybersecurity, the Professional Association for the Cybersecurity Sector, ISC Squared, it's called. Um, the the training I'm following is it's quite it's, it's formal, you know, it's broken down into modules and chapters, and it's taught by professionals. But it's um, you can do it at your own pace, which is good. Mm-hmm. And I think that's becoming more common and responding to, to what people want and need. I think, mm-hmm. um, as, as, as I suppose, the lines between personal and 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 work life are becoming greyer and blurred mm-hmm. um so this kind of thing might we might start to do in our personal time rather mm-hmm. than work time i guess so we, maybe that's the reason behind it we kind of saw an example of that as well with the iti conference having obviously us all having access to the talks mm. later at a later date as well which means that yeah. we could go along to the ones that we wanted to at the time and we can still continue to do our cpd whenever we get time to catch up on other talks and stuff yeah absolutely um and i I think it's great what ITI has done there. This is the first hybrid conference that ITI has offered. Mm-hmm. This is the first year, I think, that we've seen hybrid conferences um, on a wider scale, at least, in our profession. And in essence, because there are four streams, four talk streams, you, you can only mm-hmm. go to one of them at any one time, it means, essentially, you have four times the content, four times the professional development available to you for, for the same price, essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, which is great you could fill your whole CPD allowance for the year by, by watching all the talks at that conference your, your, your whole 30 hours mm-hmm. that's brilliant so speaking of the ITI conference you obviously gave a talk there called changing professional development so CPD in a slightly different sense how would you say CPD is changing and how can we keep up with it uh, well in the presentation i broke it down into two parts two ways uh, two trends that i could see happening in the profession in terms of cpd right now that are building up to one in t- one is in terms of the the type of content and the format that cpd takes now which in terms of the content i think there's always been a focus on the hard skills learning hard skills core skills in translation the actual skills mm-hmm. you need to translate and you're know, knowing the um, perhaps the theories but you know the methods and the techniques behind translation uh, and when to apply them and and writing well in your target language as i mentioned well that's the content um but then when i was starting out 10 12 years ago and, and because i've become a freelancer there was then this sort of boom in a focus on soft skills in on, on uh, marketing skills business skills branding yourself which is really good um because mm-hmm. we had more and more translators going freelance and uh, i don't know it was around that time that we realized that you know we're not just freelancers we're businesses and we need to think as such and operate as such and look as such and brand ourselves as such so there's a lot of great content um on that there still is but that's sort of when this sort of boom in a focus on soft skills was mm-hmm. um, but i think to, to a certain extent it was a bit of an overkill because we were then neglecting a focus on hard skills which was obviously still important you can't there's no point in having soft skills if you don't have the hard skills. They're there to complement the hard skills. But now, as I think in the last few years, um, we were sort of coming back to a focus on hard skills without neglecting the soft skills. You know, mm-hmm. ITI in particular, I'm seeing um, more of a focus on, on the core skills in the training they offer, but also, again, not forgetting training on, on soft skills. There was a webinar, ITI webinar I went to yesterday on techniques for using LinkedIn, which was, mm-hmm. which was superb. But also I've done a, a short course on writing skills with ITI this year, hard skills. 
obviously not just ICI, there are other translation training providers, but I'm seeing this this is the trend in general that we're coming back to sort of a balance, I think, between hard skills and soft skills. In terms of the format, this was happening before COVID anyway, where more and more uh, CPD was going online. We were able to take more more training online. And now I think that is sort of cemented that um, a lot of training has gone online and it's not going back. Um, mm-hmm. Think of you know short webinars, for example, you're not going to want to travel hundreds of miles and take half a working day out to travel to, for a one hour session, I don't think. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're all online from um, in, in um, from ITI at least, because otherwise you would have had to go to the head office in, in Milton Keynes, you know, which is that's, that's a good four hours away from where I live. So that's, you know, traveling time, loss of business, things like that. But now you just have to take the hour out online. So that, that's, mm-hmm. that's superb. We still have in-person events, of course, and this is great, I think, more at a, at a local or regional level where you have geographical networks organising in-person events um, mm-hmm. where people who live relatively close to each other can get together in person, either for social reasons or for professional reasons. So that's, um, that's great. Even doing that, um, ITI's subject networks and um, uh, language networks also, I think, still meetups, even though people have to mm-hmm. travel. Um, I think um, it's good that they're still meeting up. And then in the middle, you have this sort of hybrid format that I think conferences are going to take going forward where you're able to attend in person, but you also have the option of attending online. At this year's ITR conference, there were in total 430 signups, which I think is the highest ever. About 300, I think, or so were in person, which is great because mm-hmm. that's roughly the same or, or not too far below the number of attendees we'd have before COVID. So I think people are feeling confident about going back to in-person events now. But we also had um, 130, 150 or so attending online, which was great because they wouldn't have been able, or many of them wouldn't have been able to attend in person. And that's why they went. Uh, that's why they attended online. So I think it's great that, um, you know, it's, it's more accessible, I think. Hybrid mm-hmm. uh, CPD makes makes it much more accessible mm. uh, to people. Yeah, for sure. Makes in it terms a lot of price easier, and, so. and sort of the, ge- the geography, the, geography and also some people have mobility issues and can't travel very much so this Mm -hmm. um it's great that they're able to attend online Mm -hmm. and it's also you can say it's better for the environment as well since we're not all Mm. having to travel around everywhere i mean i guess it depends because obviously having it online also has somewhat of a environmental impact but at least you're not Mm. i don't know flying there or driving there or (laughs) yeah no that's a really good point um yeah, it does. If, you know, if you were going to drive there, then it would cut down on, on the emissions and any other emissions and environmental impact associated with your, your travelling and your visit and your stay there. But that's a good point, actually. We, you know, we say that going online is, is better for the environment, but we forget that it takes electricity and therefore produces emissions to, to use Zoom, to record this podcast, to maintain the servers, to cool the servers that are all used yeah. for this. I mean, I don't know the uh, the data on it. I don't think there's any sort of reliable comparison on which is better. Mm-hmm. It would be interesting to see. I'd like to think it is better for the environment um, significantly. Yeah. But um, yeah, we should remember it's not impact-free going there. Yeah, there, I guess it, you'd have to look at a huge number of different factors to actually mm. figure it all out. But <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I think being, being aware of it is a, is a good thing anyway. So obviously there's like a lot of different kinds of cpd in general like are there like different forms of cpd that you'd recommend to someone who's like brand new to the industry compared to someone who's maybe been like translating for 30 years or something i think generally all forms and types of cpd 
are relevant whatever stage of your career you're at in general. However, mm. if you're at the start of your career and you're just coming into the profession now, I would suggest focusing on core skills, on hard skills, particularly if you're coming, you know, if, you're, if you've just graduated and you're in your early 20s and you want to go into translation, you know, you've done your, your MA, maybe you've done a BA in translation, so you've studied all the theory, you know about all the techniques, you know how to translate. What they don't focus on in an MA is how to write well, how to produce content that's fluent and that doesn't sound like a translation in your target language, in English in our case. Uh, and MAs, you know, universities can't, they can't focus on that because they have so many students with so many language combinations into and out of English, different source languages, so they can't focus on, on writing in, in any one language. But it's still an important, it's still a vital skill. And as I said, it's one that translators today need and will certainly need going forward in the future if they want to continue to translate, not post-edit. So I think, yeah, if you're coming out of university, going into translation now, learn how to write well, how to mm-hmm. you know, turn a text completely on its head. You know, do do a very literal draft of your translation as a first stage, if that helps. That's what I do. And then on the next stage, just completely rewrite it. Make mm-hmm. sure it sounds English and it reads English and it's punctuated and structured like it should be in English, which can be completely mm-hmm. different from how it is in the source language. Um, That's assuming you know, that your target language is English. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I'm <laughs> talking from um, an into English perspective. This applies mm-hmm. in the other direction, of course. Um, for example, English, uh, sorry, English, um, German and Dutch, you'll know this, tend to use a lot of exclamation marks where we mm-hmm. tend to use them a little less. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. In French, you have a space between the end of a sentence and a colon, which we don't in English, and that sounds, you know, sounds quite minor. But there's lots and lots of different differences in convention that I don't think are necessarily taught at university and that you, you know, learn on the job. But the quicker you can learn them, the better, obviously. What's that saying? Punctuate the translation. Don't translate the punctuation. Oh, I've never heard that before. <laughs> so, so, in, so in essence, forget about whatever punctuation the source text use, mm-hmm. uses. Just use target language punctuation conventions in the target language. In, du- mm-hmm. in Dutch, another example, lots of short sentences that are questions. Use lots mm-hmm. of questions in Dutch text, very short sentences. In English, I tend to turn them into an if clause. You know, are you mm-hmm. looking to buy a car? We offer a loan in Dutch. In English, it's, in English, I think it sounds better. If you're looking to buy a car, we offer a loan. Not invariably, of course. There are certain situations where questions do work in English, but that's just one example um, of you know Dutch convention versus English convention. Mm-hmm. So what would you say is the best kind of CPD to do to kind of develop those skills? Because it's not always easy, mm. like... When, mm. when you finish uni, if you if you decide to go freelance, you only yeah. kind of have yourself, and I guess it can be hard to know how to yeah. develop those skills. Yeah, well, that's a good, good question. Yes, so pursue training. As soon as you get out of university, finish your master's in translation, or if you're coming out of another job and you know you're going into translation, becoming a freelance translator, pursue additional training on core skills. Soft skills as well. Yeah, you, know, you need to know how to market your business, but you need to develop mm-hmm. the business you need to have the skills to sell before you learn how to sell them, if that makes sense. Um, where you can look for this training, as I said, ITI is excellent for this for this training for translators at the moment, Institute of Translation and Interpreting. They offer lots of, like I said, from one-hour webinars to short courses to the biennial conference. That's a good place to start. And, jo- and joining a professional association in general 
is well worth it. I think you can go onto their website and, and see all the benefits. Uh, again, this is for primarily into English translators in the UK or translators in the UK in general. ITI, I think, is the most is, is the best professional association for translators. If you um, say you live in France, there's um, the SFT. Uh, in Germany, there's, there's the BDU, there's lots of different national professional associations. And you may find there's benefit in joining one related to your source language or languages and one related to your target language or languages or related to the markets that you're targeting. But also, um, and this is really important, we need to get out of the translation bubble. So if, for example, if I'm looking to specialise in cybersecurity, I need to go into the cybersecurity sector and see mm-hmm. where do I go to find training there. And as I mentioned, I've gone to... ISC Squared, the professional association for cybersecurity professionals, they offer their training. Nothing to do with translation. That's so I, I know about the content that I'm translation uh, translating. Sorry, you know I know what my clients are writing about. So then I know how to put it uh, into English. But in terms of learning how to write well, there are also other associations or organisations that you can look at. There's the Chartered Institute of Editing and Proofreading, or Editors and Proofreaders (CIEP), I think, mm-hmm. in the UK, which offers training on writing and editing there's uh, associations of authors of writers as well in the uk in the us in other countries um they're probably the best places to look for uh, for training on writing but there's also um so-called MOOCs, m-o-o-c mm-hmm. which stands for massive open online courses which is basically free courses offered usually offered by universities or other educational institutions Search MOOCs online, M-O-O-C-S. Coursera is, is one of the biggest ones. And they're free. This is really high-quality training for free. It's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, like I said, it's usually big universities offering them because they've got the budget to... And I think the idea is that they entice you to... You might do a short course. They entice you then to, to take a longer course or to do a degree, but, of course, you don't have to. But that's um, also a great resource to look for uh, training on your on your core skills. Mm-hmm. That's a good point as well, because often like if you are a brand new translator and you've just come out of uni, you might not have the job, the jobs and the money coming in to be able to suddenly do loads of expensive courses and stuff. So like it's I think it's good that there is so much um, free stuff on there online that we can we can use. Um, And another thing that came up um, in your talk at the ITI conference was mentoring as well. Um, And Fiona Gray as well. She she offers mentoring and I know that she talked about it. A bit and I guess that's also something that we can do as more experienced translators to offer like free support to new translators would you say that that's yeah. a good kind of thing for a new translator to seek out if they want to get feedback mm. on their work absolutely um yeah actually that was the second part of my presentation um I neglected to mention I think it went off on a tangent so <laughs> thanks <laughs> thanks for reminding me but yeah the, the second half of the presentation was basically trying to answer the question of how do we support new entrants to the profession. Mm-hmm. Nowadays in particular, in view of the fact that opportunities to develop on the job are dwindling. They're very few and far between compared to when I was even when I was starting out ten years ago, and like as I said I worked in-house, there are so few translation companies and companies in general with translation departments, in-house translation departments. So I think more stuff, more translation is being outsourced now. Which means, yeah, there are fewer opportunities to to ha- to, to work in house uh, and develop on the job to have you know, feedback on the job from senior translators and to learn and develop that way in the way that I did. Um, so, with that in mind, how do we, as a profession, or ITI as a professional association, how do we support new entrants 
um, in, in gaining this experience in these opportunities that we had that they don't. And one of the potential solutions that I could envisage was improving um, work placement and mentoring schemes. Now, sometimes these two words are synonymous. I think it depends how you look at it, but I like to distinguish between the two, between work placements and mentorships, um, because work placements could be something that you can do while you're at university, studying translation. It could be something you do... Well, yeah, for example, I work with Cardiff University and some other translators in Cardiff do the same to host students on a, um, a work placement in spring of every year. I think we've been doing it maybe three years, and I've had two uh, translation students working into English, either from French or German, can mm-hmm. work with me. Um, it's you know it's not full-time for four weeks or anything like that. It's it's quite a short placement, if anything. It, it runs for four weeks, just before the Easter holidays, but it, the contact time is only two, well, two hours, I think. I see them for two hours a week for four weeks. And the idea, the, the way this is structured, is that they translate one text in a week, um, mm. and they do that three times, three texts, or they translate it three or four days. I have a couple of days to review it and provide feedback, and then we'll meet in person and discuss the feedback and how on how they can improve. And hopefully by this stage, you know, they've got their source language knowledge sorted, so hopefully, you know, mistranslations won't be, and, and aren't really much of a problem. I, what I'd like mm. to focus on is, as I mentioned, improving their target language skills, because that's what they're going to need going forward and also how to um, look at the terminology as well to see if they've found the correct terminology and give them tips on where they can find it mm-hmm. so yeah that runs for um, f- for four weeks I also at the same time when we're meeting in person I give them some I spend an hour with them going through business tips soft skills if you like on mm-hmm. sort of developing their business branding where to find clients how to price their services how to negotiate and also we have a confidentiality joining a professional association CPD things like that it's mm-hmm. quite an intense thing if you think about it so it might be a bit overwhelming because they, you know they're doing this at the same time as they're studying going to lectures mm-hmm. doing exams writing dissertations all that as well mm-hmm. um, so that's a short work placement at university mentorships on the other hand um, I would define them as much longer placements after you've graduated and are already or preparing to work as a translator mm-hmm. and the way this works is similar you're placed under the the mentorship of a um an established translator but you receive feedback on texts over a longer period the iti's spanish german and french networks italian network i think have schemes like this um Mm -hmm. also subject language uh, sorry subject networks the medical network has a scheme like this that range from i want to say three months one of them is six months um, I've seen a scheme that covers a year or two years, which is which is brilliant. Then, you know, that's coming close to replacing sort of that three-year stint that I did learning and developing. I think we need to look more towards years than than months. Mm-hmm. It, this can be a, this can be a big ask of of the established translator to have someone work under them f- for a year, maybe two years, because they are taking time out of their business, you know, to provide support and feedback for. For the, for the newcomer to the profession typically I think there is some sort of pay some sort of remuneration involved compared to work placements I don't um, I think there's less of an argument for the translator to be paid there but because the, the mentorship is much longer and it's more demanding on the translator I think there's more of an argument to, to pay them even some kind of nominal fee and I know that the ITI networks do that um, I don't think as much as an hourly rate as much as the translator would charge their clients so they are they are mm. 
you know, losing out financially, so to speak. But I think, well, I, I would imagine that the translators who do this, who serve as mentors, do it because they want to. They want to give back mm-hmm. uh, to the profession and they want to support new entrants into the profession uh, as well. But again, the, the idea that uh, the idea of mentorships, like work placements, is that you give feedback on on their translations, on the accuracy, on the quality, but also again, target language writing skills. How well can they rewrite the text? I suppose it depends on the text. I suppose I'm talking, you know, marketing text, business text. If we're talking um, like a medical text, legal text, certain technical mm-hmm. fields, then style is is. I was going to say style is not so important, but no, they do have their own styles, but. Usually, you tend to not want to rewrite the text. You want to be rather literal there. Mm. Um, so it's good that you know if the ITI's law network is offering a, a mentorship on legal translation, that you, you know you're learning not just to translate well, but to translate well for law for legal clients. Mm-hmm. So you know their terminology, their structures, the styles, uh, and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and same with the language networks. You know you're, you're focusing on, on the specifics of the um, the source language, because some of us translate from multiple languages, and it goes without saying that different languages have different conventions. Mm-hmm. So it's good that if you're you know, doing a mentorship in a specific language, you're learning about the particularities of that language compared to other source languages you have. Mm-hmm. But I guess this is also something that we can be doing throughout our career even later on. Like, um, I know last year the, what was it? It was NWTN and YTI and... I want to say the North East Network maybe as well, did like a, a sustainability translation kind oh, of right. thing where we all went into, it was all online and we went into different groups of like, of language combinations. And then in our within our groups, we did like the same translation. And then all of us sw- like talked about the translation that we'd all done the same way. Rather than like one less experienced person do it and the other person check it, it was like we all did the same thing mm. and like had a look at each other's work and discuss things. And like I think we all kind of learnt from each other. And then at the end, mm. like we kind of said what each group said what they'd found like with their specific translation. So you also kind of got to hear things from people with different language combinations as well, which was quite yeah. interesting. So I guess like it's something that can be because I feel like you can always learn from like other translators even when you're oh yeah even like the more experienced ones as well absolutely and there's well there's one event that's called um, Translate In followed by the mm-hmm. name of the place um, Translate In Chambéry and Translate In Quebec I think it's been and these are very um, these are aimed specifically at um, more experienced more established translator, translators with you know a couple of decades at least of experience and mm-hmm. I think that's one of the primary um, activities or workshops is, is translation slams because they recognise, even if you've got 20 years experience, they recognise the value of still learning from each other. And I think someone mm-hmm. with 20 years of experience can learn with someone from someone with three years of experience. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Because typically the less experienced slash younger translator might be more au fait with terminology or certain language styles in certain sectors. And if you're a translator of 20, 30 years, for example, you might be using language in your target language that a younger translator might consider outdated. Mm -hmm. So that's one example of absolutely how more experienced translators can learn from less experienced translators. I think most translators recognise this, and I think translation slams, as they're called, are one of the best ways of developing yourself professionally and at any time 
through your career, whether you've got one year of experience or 40. Mm-hmm. And I guess it, it works. I think it does work well when both when both parties are benefiting because it's not one person having to yeah. volunteer their time continuously yeah. for someone else. It's like, well, actually, everyone is ga- like benefiting from it. And I guess, yeah. I mean, that's not to say that an experienced translator wouldn't benefit from like helping someone brand new out of uni or whatever but mm. I guess like they might see the benefits more straight away I don't know <laughs> that's, that's a really good way of looking at it you know if training mm. is mutually beneficial yeah all the better so um obviously I saw recently you post on LinkedIn saying that you're now a member of the ITI professional development mm. committee what is that I didn't to be honest before your post I didn't realize that the ITI had a professional development committee mm. specifically what is that and like hmm. what like yeah what's that all about <laughs> no that's a, that's a good question and i um i don't think you're alone in you know wondering what is this committee are there other committees uh, yes there are mm-hmm. by the way <laughs> but they yeah they're a bit under the radar i think so yeah maybe that's something to go back to iti about and try and uh, publicize their, their work a bit more there's um yeah, iti has several committees very small committees usually four or five ish people maybe six mm-hmm. and their job is to advise the board on certain topics so we have um, a membership committee a fellowship committee um, a ethics committee mm-hmm. um, so for example they'll investigate any claims of breaches of ITI's code of conduct and advise the board on what action to take the fellowship committee looks at applications for fellowship and advises mm-hmm. whether the board should um, approve them or not the professional development committee the PDC's job is to uh, to advise the board. Well, I think actually no, to primarily advise ITI's professional development officer and Brooks on what training translators need. So then she can go and find it. <laughs> essentially, um, and we can you know, we can propose ideas of, of what topics we should be offer offer training on. Who can talk about those topics with authority? Essentially, whether the training offering from ITI is fit for purpose and suits the membership is it what members want is it what members need so um, I was asked only this month to join it because Carrie Coonan the, the chair of the committee saw that I had done that prote- the, the, the presentation at the conference on CPD um, so she, she knows I'm sort of passionate about it so yeah I um, accepted that post very gladly and I think it's very good to um, to have a member of board there's already a member of the board on this committee but well, it doesn't hurt to have another one um to have a, you know, a more direct link i think so do you have like little committee meetings and things where you like mm. discuss yeah um, we will do i haven't we haven't had the first one yet since i've joined because this was um okay. a couple of couple of weeks ago or so but there will be i think at least quarterly meetings to yeah, to make sure that ITI is still in in touch with its members and, and, and their needs and responding to those needs. It's good to hear that there's so much going on like beneath the surface of what we might mm. see of like a professional association um, mm. and that like they are really con- continuously thinking about the members and like how we yeah. can actually benefit. That's, that's, um, that's a good insight actually. A lot of what ITI does is under the surface so maybe that's something that ITI could improve on on like I said publicizing the work it does I think ITI is a very um, humble association it does a lot it does a lot for translators and interpreters for the profession um, particularly mm-hmm. in the UK and um, does a lot of it does lobbying for example 
um, championing our interests, particularly during the, the Brexit period and also um, before that, I think this is continuing, with a campaign group called uh, Professional Interpreters for Justice, which lobbies the government to use to ensure that professional, qualified, accredited interpreters are used in court interpreting because over the past few years that's not always slash often been the case. Uh, I think we've had cases of, um, you know, this is court interpreting subcontracted to a, or contracted out to, um, to an agency, usually the lowest bidder, which means they'll use the lowest interpreters who, who charge the lowest, which tends to be mm-hmm. those with less experience or who aren't qualified. And this results in misinterpretations, whether it's of mm-hmm. the defendant, whether it's of a witness. So mm-hmm. this comes with a real risk of miscarriages of justice, whether um, someone should have been convicted when they weren't, or vice versa, if someone is convicted and they shouldn't have been based on incorrect interpreting. Mm. I think there have been cases of that. Which is really, that's really worrying. Yeah, it's it's horrendous. Change someone's whole life. Yeah, Uh, but ICI is involved in, you know, in trying to chew off the government's ear in, uh, you know, make sure they use um, professional experienced translators and interpreters. Uh, were appropriate. Mm-hmm. In particular, um, if anyone remembers the Brexit white paper a few years ago, during the um, before the transition period, actually the paper that um, proposed, I think it proposed how you know relations between the UK and the EU would be going forward, and it was translated into I think all the European Union languages. But there were several mistranslations uh, because mm-hmm. um, I don't know who was contracted to translate it, but it, um, it wasn't professionally done. Uh, and I know ITI wrote. Uh, to the government um, mm. for that reason mm. so it's involved in a lot of work like that which it, again isn't always publicised um, mm. so maybe, yeah maybe that's something we could we could do better so members I think members already feel they're getting value out of ITI but by doing that highlighting the, the work all the work that it does I think that's uh, something well worth mm. doing yeah for sure so do you have any more words of wisdom to share with my listeners about <laughs> CPD or anything else related um, I think that's what, I think I'm all out of wisdom now that's all the wisdom I have to offer all right. <laughs> I think I've got none left <laughs> um, if you can even call it wisdom no I mean I've, I've talked only about my own perspectives and experience and what I'm mm-hmm. saying might not be applicable to everyone but I hope it's well at least it's provided some food for thought on how what I have said can maybe be applied uh, in other situations to help Mm -hmm. translators uh, continuously develop to make sure they've got a job for life in translation Mm -hmm. if they want to you're free to leave translation but I find uh, (laughs) people really do they they say translators never retire as well so I think it's one of those jobs that's just hard to hard to leave Mm -hmm. but um, um, no I think think that's it (laughs) Well, that's great. I mean, you've shared some interesting insights, so I've really enjoyed it. What is the best way for anyone to contact you if they did have more questions about anything you've said or if they want to, they need a translation from you or they just want to connect and say hi, what is the best way to do that? Uh, Probably on LinkedIn. Um, I'm just under my name, Lloyd Bingham. I'll Uh, put it in the um, show notes as well, so it's easy to click on. Cool. Thank you. Amazing. Thank you so much for being on my podcast. I really appreciate it. Oh, thanks for having me. It's been a pleasure. And, uh, it'd be <laughs> nice to talk about, about this topic. 
which yeah like i said i'm passionate about so it's easy easy to talk about (laughs) thank you Dot. thank you thank you for listening to this episode of the meet the translator podcast i hope you enjoyed it as much as i did Thanks again to Lloyd for joining me today. Make sure to check out the show notes if you want to get in touch with him. And if you have any comments or questions about the podcast, send an email to meetthetranslator at gmail.com. Bye.